0: may be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. When Pastor Dick and I had worked on the sermon schedule maybe two months ago, he expected for me to be well on my way out of car tea, And so I was going to once again do some more Jonah, the shortest book of the Bible that takes the longest to preach. Um, but I decided, no, um, if I am going to preach today, it needs to be a previous sermon. Perhaps some of you might recognize it. Probably not. It was preached two years ago when Tommy and Rachel were baptized. And it was the last sermon I preached before I was deployed. I pray it will still speak to us today. And we'll have a little bit different things to say at the end. So let's pay careful attention to the word of God. Matthew 25, the first 13 verses. Then the kingdom of heaven Watch, therefore, for, you know, neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word. Early on in our marriage, Elizabeth and I went with her family to her cousin's wedding. And the ceremony was a decent drive away, about 90 minutes. And so we left two hours to give us Christian time. But we drove in a caravan and let's just say one member of the caravan was extremely slow. And then there was construction was eating into our time. And as I'm driving and I think I was in the front, I'm looking at that clock and saying that 30 extra minutes isn't looking so good right now. And we're taking these crazy turns to try to find a faster way. And all the while, the clock is ticking down and it becomes clear that we're not going to make it. And I'm stressed now doubly because I'm driving, but I'm driving only mostly dressed it was half an hour out. We had plenty of time. I, you know, didn't have my tie on. My shoes needed to be, the shoes had to shine, so I kept them in the box. And so, well, we pull up ten minutes late, and it's one of those small weddings. Our family's big enough that you can't start without us. And the father groom greets us with a truly generous smile, and we shuffle in, and I run downstairs, and I throw my shoes on and my tie on, and it was a wonderful ceremony. It honored Jesus. It was a beautiful day, despite us being late. Maybe you've experienced something like that. right? Being late for something important. It's embarrassing. And it should be, because it's important. The the way you set your schedule shows your priorities. And sometimes you're late and it's unavoidable. But there's times when carelessness or negligence delays you. We know it's just wrong. Well, Jesus tells us this story, and it's a parable of young women who come late to the party. And the reason is that they fail to prepare for the occasion. And the story tells you there are two types of people in the world. Those who are wise and those who are foolish. And you can tell folly and wisdom by the way that you prepare your life to meet Jesus. The sermon point is this. The wedding is coming. Are you ready? The wedding is coming. Are you ready? Well, first of all, let's look at the parable. What is a parable? It's it's a bit of alternate reality that forces you to think about life differently. A parable takes everyday elements of life, but then Jesus uses them to tell a story, and and with a parable you can bend reality to make a specific point. They're, They're like jokes in a bit where you sometimes you get caught up by surprise, and that's what helps you remember the story. Forces you to look at life from a different angle. Well, let's explore this parable that Jesus tells, and I'll fill in some of the details. The story is about a wedding celebration with all of the excitement. Now, I think everyone still today loves weddings. They're special events. But back then, it was really big. Lots of feasting could go on for a whole week. It often involved the whole village. Back then, people hardly ate meat. So this was a big deal. And there's this bridegroom. Now, most likely with a bridegroom here, is that he's going to meet his bride. And she would have lived at her parents' house. He would have lived at his parents' house. He would have built on an addition. And when he was ready, he would have gone to his house to stay there until the evening and then escort him now back to the new addition of the family home. And all along the way, they would have been been met and then escorted by the wedding party. And this would have included the young unmarried women, which Jesus calls the Ten Virgins. Now, I'm going to call them bridesmaids. Um, It's not exactly what we mean by a bridesmaid today, but, but it makes much more sense to us. Back then, almost anyone who was unmarried was, by definition, a virgin. And so these young women would have been friends of the bride, and they would have taken part of the procession. And each one of them had a lamp. Now, we don't know what kind of lamp it was, but what we do know, the important thing, is that it runs on oil. And very important, these were considered part of the wedding uniform. It's the wedding uniform having the lamp. So if you didn't have a lamp when you, the procession was coming along and you tried to join, you would have been considered a wedding crasher. So imagine all the people alongside the route waiting to join the wedding party as the groom is all over with his bridegroom. And everyone's so excited they can't wait to see them and go back and begin. But the bridegroom delays. As it so happens, it's something to do, maybe with the bride's parents. Um, in some cases, it was thought that they honor the daughter by delaying the groom, maybe instructing him how to treat her, maybe dry, dragging out those last few minutes in their house. Well, in this story, the, the parents decided to greatly honor her daughter, their daughters, and detain the groom late until evening. And so all the people along the way are getting drowsy. The bridegroom, the, the virgins get drowsy, the bridesmaids, there's nothing wrong with them sleeping, it's a natural reaction. They're young girls. And their lamps go out. And then at some point, the bridegroom is sighted, and everyone springs to life. And Jesus tells this story in vivid color. A cry rang out. There's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And there's great excitement, the girls shake themselves from their drowsy slumber, and they're fixing their hair and, and smoothing their dresses, and they're relighting their lamps with there's a problem. The oil in the lamps is gone. And only half brought more. You can imagine the horror of those foolish girls as their lamps sputter. And it's dark. And so without the lamps, they can't join the party. And so they ask, give us some more to the wise girls. But the wise girls know they only have enough for themselves and they say, you go buy some more. And that's probably realistic. If there was a town nearby, this is a village thing. They might have been able to find someone the five girls leave, and, and Jesus tells it this way. As they are going to buy oil, the bridegroom comes. Almost as just as they are leaving, the bridegroom comes along, and they miss him. So the wise bridegrooms, they join the party, they enter into the feast. But when they reach the door of the house, the, bride, the groom shuts it behind, and the foolish <coughs> bridesmaids are left out. The end. That's the parable. So what does it mean? Well, the kingdom of God, Jesus says this is like the kingdom of God. It has to do with God's rule here on earth, his kingly rule, especially in people who bow their knees and confess Christ. And the bridegroom here represents Jesus. In the Old Testament, we said God was portrayed as the tender husband of his people. And now Jesus talks to him about himself about the bridegroom here and many times in his ministry. And the bridesmaids are his followers. The people are waiting for His return. And now on the outside, they look all the same. They had the same purpose, the same dress, the same torches. You can't tell them apart. By the way, isn't that the way how we look as a church today in the church throughout all the ages? We we come to church. We sit and we worship. We do the same things as we give and we go out. If you grow up in the church, you've been baptized. You have the promise of God's grace in your life. If you believe that's the way that you and I are a lot like the bridesmaids on the outside. We all look the same. We're here. We're waiting for Jesus. Well, this whole parable comes down to the question of the oil. So let's talk about that because it's it's the tipping point uh, of the parable. This oil is what distinguishes the foolish bridesmaids from the wise. So what's Im- so important about this oil? Well, you can be car- you need to be careful not to read into it. You could say the oil is grace, the oil is Holy Spirit. Um, you can't really share those things. Um, it's not really the point. Je- Jesus. Is talking here more about the attitude of preparation. So the way I see it, the oil is that this is not a commodity in their hand. It's the commitment of the heart. Right? It's not. It's not. Just not something physical that they had. And the oil is now looking to the, the commitment of your heart, the preparation coming for Jesus. And this is where Jesus starts to bend the reality to make the point. The oil stood for the fact that the wise virgins were prepared. They knew that the bridegroom was coming. They knew that the wedding was going to be amazing. And so they acted like that. Now think about what it means to be prepared. And I admit here that when I think about preparation, I think about military, I think about you know, being ready for a battle. Jesus doesn't use that illustration. And in fact, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't. I kind of missed this a little bit last time I preached. I love how the, Jesus uses the illustration of a young, most likely teenage girl's getting ready to go to a massive wedding party. Isn't that great? Girls, I want you to think about the biggest party or event that you're going to have with your friends this year. I'm I'm not going to get specific because I would lose whatever cool points I might still have. Okay, I don't know the details, but just think of something that would be big. Everyone's going to be there. Now, would you forget about this? You know, just kind of tuck in the back until it just jumps up and surprises you the day before. Or would you count down the days? Would you have everything planned out? Would you, what you're going to wear, that, that all the details, the, the food, the friends, the games, who you're going to hang out with, it would, you'd want it to be perfect. And if you were a young girl and not old enough to drive, I bet you'd make sure mom or whoever else is going to take you would know so that you would not be late. You would be prepared. Let's, let's just broaden this out to the ladies, because I think this is, this is a really helpful illustration. Um, Ladies, let's just imagine you were invited to a very formal wedding ceremony. Would you think about what you're going to wear? Or, or would you just you know wear whatever you, you clean around the house and probably wouldn't be caught dead in that? Those are the, those are the types of things that dreams are made of, right? You, 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 you're preparing. You're, you're, you're getting ready. And, and Jesus says, "Look, if that is the type of, of preparation that you should have for for me coming. And and if that's the case, you'll have your whole person. You will be locked in as focused and as obsessed as a young girl getting ready for the party of her life. Jesus says that preparation shows your priorities. And how you prepare for the bridegroom determines... How he will receive you. And in this in this parable, Jesus says, if you prepare to meet him, then he welcomes you into the wedding bliss. We've, we've, we've talked about the, the wedding ceremony, the, the new heavens, the new earth. But he also says not all will experience this joy, of the wedding. There's a warning here. The foolish bridesmaids are shut out. Now, this may have been reality. If they had gone and got their, lamp, their oil, they, they may have been let in. But, but Jesus is making the point to show the utter tragedy of their lives. When their oil ran out, it became plain that they weren't prepared. They looked the part on the outside, but their lives showed otherwise. And when they realized, they scrambled to make up, but it was too late. And when they knocked on the door, Jesus said, I do not know you. Jesus is very clear that the only way to the new heavens and new earth, the new, the new wedding feast of the Lamb is through him. And when he says, I do not know you, that is deadly serious. The wedding is coming. Are you ready? Well, how can you be ready? There are two ways. I want us to look at two ways to be foolish and then how to be wise. There are two ways to be foolish. The first is to think that you are good enough for God. Maybe you have neighbors this way. Um, you know, it's funny, in a society where we no longer have an objective moral standard, we're still concerned if we're good people. And really, that's part of common grace. But we have many people today who are kind, morally upright, respectable person, and you could think that your performance in your life is, is good enough so that when you die, God will accept you because of what you've done. A very simple question helps get to the heart of this foolishness. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into the wedding feast? What would you say? And what would would be some answers today? Well, I am a good person. I care for my neighbors. I I donate to the the hurricane relief in Florida. I've I've done Meals and Wheels. Maybe compare yourself. I I haven't killed anyone. certainly not Hitler or Bin Laden, right? Well, is that you today? If, if that's you and you're answering this question standing before God, I plead with you to answer, to, to examine your heart. You say, what do you mean I'm foolish? I've, I've done all these good things. The Bible says you can be very smart and very accomplished and look very good and still be tragically unprepared. You think about those answers. I'm a good person. I care for my neighbors. I do this. I do that. What's the what's the fatal word there? It's I. If your eternal preparation begins with you, then you're lost. The whole story is God as the husband coming to seek his bride. You can't save yourself. You need another. And so there is no hope if you are good enough for for God. You will find yourself at the end tragically unprepared. But then there's belief without change or belief without evidence. You, You believe that Jesus is God, but your life hasn't shown much change. Maybe you've grown up in the church and you know all the stories. You, you, you know, you, you've been through all the curriculum. Your, your parents read you all the books. You've been baptized. Your parents have their certificate. Maybe you even stood on this platform and you confessed your faith. You can talk church you talk. You can put on a good face. You can fool other people and maybe even yourself. But if you're honest, Jesus doesn't excite you. And there's no change that you can see from knowing him. You come to church either because you have to, or maybe you're comfortable here, or because of your friends. Some of those are good things, but they're missing the point. To use the language of the parable, if you want to go to the wedding, it's for the food, and not for the bridegroom. So I want to speak to the kids and the young people. Does Jesus make a difference in your life? If someone were to shadow you for a week and 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 they were just to see how you lived, would they be able to say, Hey, I, I can tell that you're a Christian because you live differently. Kids, does that sound like you at all? That you know your your life is is locked in to serving Jesus. It's certainly not perfect. You need grace, you may have doubts. But what it does mean is that you've you love Jesus, you've received his grace. And you want to grow up in him. Have you made your parents faith your own kids? It's a question only each one of you can answer. Now, to everyone, if you call yourself a Christian, but there is no evidence of it, please realize that we're in a dangerous place. That you're living a foolish life. And that you're unprepared to meet Jesus. Don't miss Jesus' warning about the bridesmaids. They all look the same. They, they expected to be accepted. And yet, at the end, Jesus said, the door is shut. I do not know you. The wedding is coming. Are you ready? Well, if that's to to be foolish, what does it mean to be wise? Well, there is an invitation. How do I live wisely? How do I prepare? Well, clearly, you have to claim Jesus as Lord first. I love the fact that, once again, he refers to himself as the bridegroom. If you've grown up, you just know this picture and you go on. But this is so important. God in the Old Testament was the husband to his people. And now Jesus is saying, everyone who is connected to me is coming to the final feast. I am bringing the final joy. It's no accident that Jesus used this picture of a feast or a big party. There's something special and good about a party. Last Saturday and last week, I could see the days ticking by and I could see that I was not getting better. And it became plain that I was going to miss Dick and Gail's celebration. And when that happened, I was extremely disappointed. Not just because I knew there was going to be some good food but because I was missing the people. I was, I was missing the joy that we were all sharing together. There was, there was something special. It's a one-time event that you can't get back that I knew that I would not be part of. miss the joy of the gathering. That's what's special about a party. I will say, though, when I, when I did return... We had kind of an extended celebration with my family. The first day was just, yay, daddy's back. And then the second day, we each gave the kids something special just as a coming home gift. And then and then the next day we had a wild goose with a mustard and orange glaze and some some really nice Brussels sprouts and some apple dumplings with homemade applesauce. And it was just a wonderful meal. Well, that's a good repartee. reminds us in small ways that we've been created to live for this joyful wedding feast that's to come. And when Jesus says the wedding feast is coming, he's, he's planned it for you and me because we are part of his people. And he can give us no better gift than himself to look forward to, to soak in the glory and the love of the groom and to look at him and hear him say to us, I know you and I love you. Christians, what makes you different from everyone else is that you're waiting for the return of your Savior, Jesus. We have eternal life now. It's beautiful. But if you've lived a little bit, it's bittersweet. Each one of us, in our joy and our sorrows, is waiting for the bridegroom to come. And everything that we're doing now is, is moving towards that pro- climax. And so our lives should be preparing, striving, yearning for His return. Now, this is where it can look different for each one of us. When I was preaching this last year, a little faster, faster cadence, too, I might say, was on a roll and say, I'm going to get deployed. This is, this is where God has put me as a pastor, as a chaplain. You're sending me out as a missionary. You know, I'm going to come I'm, by God's will. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have this ministry and I'm going to grow and I'm going to come back ready to hit the ground running. And That's how I'm going to prepare to follow Jesus for His return. That's how I'm preparing for His return. Perfectly good desire. Perfectly good application. Um, except that King Jesus had other plans. Right? I limped quite literally <laughs> through my deployment and came back and fell uh, right smack into cancer. And that these days, preparing for the bridegroom for me means trusting that Jesus will provide for my family. It means waiting for my body to heal. It means caring for my family as best as I can and doing what little I can to help at church. Sometimes it simply means, as I'm resting, praying for others as I'm lying in bed. Why do I tell you that? Well, two years ago, preparing to meet Jesus for me had a big outward focus. Right now has a very small focus. Neither one is more important. It's where the Lord has put you. And it doesn't matter where you are. It comes with its own joys. It comes with its own trials. But that's where he has you. And so wherever it is, be faithful and prepare to meet him. Here's the encouragement that you have in the letter to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul encourages Christians to live in a very hard time, to go against the flow. It's to please Jesus. It's hard work. It's dangerous work. It can be painful at times. And then he encourages them with the promise of Jesus' return. First Thessalonians four sixteen and 17, he said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up to meet together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will also be with the Lord. When Jesus returns, if you're dead, you'll be resurrected. If you're alive, you'll be lifted up to meet him. That is the same word used in the parable. A cry rang out. There's the bridegroom come out to meet him. And that's your hope. And so this week, as you live your life as a preparation for Jesus' return, remember that. The wedding is coming. Are you ready? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for our Lord's Words, whether they are straight teaching or parables, which catch our attention, which cut into our everyday lives, which grab us back and wrap us back in your, your kingdom focus, Lord. We ask that this week our lives would be one of joyful anticipation, as much as any young girl would be ready to see a party. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.